Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. So I'm lying on my front porch watching the blood pool up around my right arm. The next thing they did is pull the door open, punch me out, and throw me across the garage into a concrete pillar. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hankin. And this week on the podcast, Compassion, stories from two people who not only turn the other cheek, but enlarge their hearts after suffering harm. This first story is from Zebediah Drinkwater, who shared his tale um, as an audience storyteller at our show that we had in 2016 at the Senator Theater entitled Fight Club. Take a listen. So three years ago, I had one of the worst dates I've ever been on in my life. It's one of those dates where every word out of that person's mouth, you're thinking, how did I wind up here and how could this possibly get any worse? Now, At the end of the evening, I was very relieved to show her to her car and say goodbye for the evening. I ran inside to get a cigarette because, good Lord, was I stressed out. Start smoking it, and I see through a clearing, she's still in her car. There's one guy leaning in through the driver's side window and another guy on the passenger side leaning in through the sunroof. And she's in the front seat like this. My God damn it. (sighs) Now I have to do something about this. So I made my presence known, and uh, I interrupted a carjacking. Now, I'm not going to go through all the details of the interaction between myself, the gunman, the other person. What wound up happening was I'm standing on my porch, there's a gun in my face, and the dude looks at the guy with the gun and says, man, shoot this guy in the face. And he opens fire without even thinking about it, pops off a couple of shots, hits me once in the neck right up front. And, uh, you know, it's weird how fast you go into shock. Uh, You don't really feel the pain so much. You're just like, oh, something's wrong. So I turn around to try and hop a fence to get off the porch, and that's when I hear the other guy go, man, shoot this guy in the back of the head. And he opens fire again without hesitation, pops off a couple more shots, and uh, hits me in the back of the neck right back there. So I I turn back around. I'd like to point out at this point that I've been shot twice in the neck and have not gone down. I'd just just like to point that out. So I turn around and I watch these guys scurry, and that's when my body says, no, we're done. So I'm lying on my front porch watching the blood pool up around my right arm. And the types of thoughts you have in these moments when you can literally feel the life draining out of your body is something that I can't articulate in three minutes. Uh, But I guarantee you some of the things you're going to think about are the impact you have on this world, um, the things that you've done, have they been positive, things like that. And I thought about uh, my best friend, Carrie, her little daughter, uh, uh, Ruby, that had just been born. I wanted to see her grow up. I had all these things I wanted to do. So I crawled my ass up, and I got off of that porch. And I walked out to the street where three people swerved around me in the street so they didn't have to deal with the situation. All right. So, again, I'm going to skip over a lot of details. Wind up in the hospital. They're like, you're going to be here for at least six to eight weeks. I'm intubated. I'm choking on my own blood. And I'm just like writing on a pad to the nurses, like, can you please siphon the blood out of my neck? 
uh, I was out in three. And the trial took three years. Literally, the trial just wrapped up this this past July. So, you know, if you're wondering how quickly you're going to get justice if you get shot in Baltimore, the answer is not so fucking quickly. (laughs) So this trial goes on for like three years. And uh, I can't even describe to you how oppressive and damaging it is to know that every three months you're going to have to show up in court and see the guy who, who tried to kill you. Uh, so I did this, you know, going through this process every three months, getting the thing in the mail, showing up. Oh, it's postponed, showing up. Oh, it's postponed. After three years, they finally convict this guy. And uh, they had me up to talk at the sentencing about what I thought the sentence should be for this guy who, without any provocation on my part, didn't know me. You know, it's not like a crime of passion. He just sort of decided my life wasn't worth anything. And they said, what do you think the sentence should be? I said, you know what? I trust the court on this. You know, whatever decision you make, I trust that. What I want is for this guy to have a real chance at rehabilitation. I want him to be able to prevent other kids from going down the path that he went. I want him to be able to say to somebody else, this is not the way to go. There are positive ways out of bad situations you could have heard a pin drop in this courtroom. It was ridiculous. Uh, And as a result, uh, he got 45 years, and the judge made him eligible for a youthful offender program that if he chooses to take part in it, will allow him the opportunity for uh, greater rehabilitation, greater education, and uh, outreach programs, you know, to talk to uh, at-risk youth about the lifestyle that he had chosen. So I guess what this story means is if you have the opportunity, choose kindness because it will never hurt. Thanks. So, yeah, that was a very harrowing tale. He shared it as an audience storyteller. So um, that means that he just put his name in the hat and came up and shared that story. And... Yeah, I think the ending was a was a surprise if you have been shot twice and you hear the people as they basically have no regard for you um, as they're shooting you. And then you show them, I guess he knew the context, right? He knew a lot of the reasons why one could end up having a life that has them trying to carjack someone and then shooting someone else. Um and he showed them a lot of mercy and uh, grace. So pretty inspiring. And when we come back, we'll have another story of someone who similarly is is really is injured by another person and finds it in her heart to forgive and, and even more. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. So this is a story from Ricky Spector, who is a local like career politician in Baltimore and um, in city governance. And um, she shared this story a few years back at a show that we had at Johns Hopkins Carey business school and it's not dissimilar to Zeb so 
Take a listen. I was just thinking of all the stupors that I'm probably the only one as a little girl that earned her 25 cents a week allowance by scrubbing my grandmother's soups. <laughs> I'm probably the only one. But I'm delighted to be here. And I, I guess I want to start right off the bat with what happened that on December 2nd, a little bit after 10 o'clock, um, 2016, I was a few days away from ending my career in the Baltimore City Council. The longest serving living was the operative word, local elected person in the state of Maryland. When I started my car in a guarded, gated, patrolled, monitored garage, I started the car and saw two kids in school garb with school bags at my door, and they pulled the door open And the big one said, you white bitch, give us your car. And I said, you son of a bitches, get away from me. (laughs) I'm from Locust Point. (laughs) We speak the same language. So I, with that, mind you, they were in school garb with school bags. If they said they needed a ride or if they needed lunch or they needed a dollar, I would have helped them. I couldn't, it just, I, I, I just couldn't fathom that the next thing they did is pull the door open, punch me out, and throw me across the garage into a concrete pillar. Well, I'm well padded, and I landed on my well padding, and I, I had, it was just divine intervention. They didn't have a gun, they didn't have a knife, and that I didn't get hurt. And I'm screaming my head off. And one of my grandsons said, I know those boys can't hear. If my bubby was screaming, they can't hear anymore. And next thing I, and I am screaming. And the kids got the car to the gate and divine intervention. I always kept the fob in the pocket of my door. And for some reason, across the garage on the ground, I'm holding the fob in my hand, and the kids can't open the gate to get out. So I see the little one coming around to me. I guess he figured I'm the key to the kingdom. But at the same time, the two men that were working in this huge garage heard me, and they were running towards me, and the little one saw them, and he started to run out. But the big one was still in the car. His vision was blocked because of this the columns, and the two men got the big one out of the car and held on to him. By then, the police and an ambulance were there because this was all on video. The the building had been watched, had a a video of everything happening in the garage. So I, I went to the hospital, and thank goodness I was okay. And I got a call from two good Samaritans, and they asked me, would you please continue to help us help those boys? They had been working for two years uh, with those two boys, but for four years in outreach in that part of Baltimore. I'm a Baltimorean. I was in the city council for nearly 40 years. I couldn't believe the, 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 the situation in a community in Baltimore. I went with them, with the Good Samaritans. They were taking, every evening, they would take food to the neighborhood or do do whatever they could do to help the people living there. And the first night I went with them, I 
we they one of the Good Samaritans managed or was the manager of the commissary for Atwater Restaurant. And he used to bring all the food to that neighborhood and feed the people in the evening with the food that was left over in the restaurants. And I went with him the first night, and I, when they parked the truck, I saw a half of a $5 bill in the gutter. And I picked it up, and do you know what that represented? And then I, I lived to see it when I would go back into the neighborhood with the Good Samaritans to help. Uh, if you wanted anything to do with anybody, they would just ride through that neighborhood and they, they would, there would be girls and boys standing on the corner and if they, they would flag them down and they would give them a $5 bill and do anything they wanted with them. They would tear the $5 bill in half and give them the first $5, the first half when they started with them and the second when they finished with them. I just, I couldn't believe I was in Baltimore. Well, we went to juvenile court, and um, I went with the Good Samaritans. The one Good Samaritan was from a group called Angels of Addiction. He had been in prison with the little one's father. The little one's father was a lifer, and he lamented to this man that his boys were following in his footsteps. And when this man, this Good Samaritan that called on me, came out of prison, didn't live in Baltimore, lived in Ellicott City, came back to this neighborhood and sought these boys out to mentor them. That was who this Good Samaritan was. And um, I, I was just... I, 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 when I started to hear... My, my late husband was a judge, and so they brought a judge from another jurisdiction to hear this case because, like, doctors don't operate on their own family. Judges don't judge on family members. So they brought in an outside judge, and I was listening to the, the story of the little one. The little one was 13. The big one was 15. The 13-year-old had a rap sheet of carjacking in Federal Hill for two years, was waiting for a case in Anne Arundel County and Baltimore County, had been to school two days up to December 2nd, the first day of school and the day they gave out the bus tickets. He had been riding around in school garb, and he had convinced the big one to go with him that day. This was what he was doing every day. Could not read or write. I told the judge about... I, I, I just realized, and all of us should know, that the system is broke. It's not, the, the juvenile system is failing the kids, and it's failing us. So I spoke to the judge, and I told the judge that before I went into the city council, I was in pupil personnel at Northwestern High School. Northwestern High School uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, was a secondary school, a high school on Park Heights and Falstaff Road. The residents in the area were elderly Jewish people. The student population was almost entirely African-American. The problem was, and we found out in the school, working in the school, that the senior center would let its program out the same time that the kids would be coming out of school. 
and the seniors would be afraid to walk on the same streets. Not that there was anything necessarily to be afraid of. They just saw these big five, six big kids at a time. They were afraid to walk in the, in the, in the area at that time, and they were afraid to go to the center because of it. So we took the kids to the center, and they were retired teachers and accountants and lawyers and doctors, and they started to mentor the kids. They became their friends. At the end of the school year, they would have a dance, and the kids would dance with their new Bubbies and Zadies. They just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful environment. And I told this to the judge, and I said, Judge, we need to get on the ground. We need to get into this community. These good Samaritans have been doing outreach for four years, two years with these two boys. Let me see what I can do. And at the same time, fortunately, having just been serving so much, uh, doing so much with city government, I knew that the city had a billion-dollar bond issue from the state to bring our schools into the 21st century. And so 29 buildings had been identified as surplus. Either they were in the wrong place for the student population or they were obsolete and they couldn't be retrofitted. They had to be abandoned. And one of the schools at 424 South Pulaski Street was exactly where these two boys lived. And so I met with the mayor and I met with the city people and we were able to get that school at 424 South Pulaski Street. All we needed was the kitchen and the cafeteria because the UN Power of Maryland was going to have a food project. I hope you look it up. It's all around food. It's to teach the kids and their families entrepreneurial skills, better living, better eating, better habits. We are, it's just, it's a gift that keeps giving. And a woman reporter from the Washington Post heard my story. And she called Michelle Suazo, the head of our, our nonprofit, and asked if I would come with the boys to Bethesda to meet her. And we went, and she had started a business, a, a, snack, a healthy snack business called CD Nutty. And she was looking to donate it to a worthy cause. She gave it to us. She gave us the business. It's called CD Nutty. We pay our kids $10 an hour. We make it in our kitchen. And uh, we have a wonderful customer, uh, Under Armour, in Inner Harbor East. And when we delivered our first delivery of the CD Nutty, the manager asked one of our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? He said, I want to work in a store like this. This is coming from a neighborhood where they don't have clocks. They live in boarded-up houses. Nobody goes to work. He wants to work in a store like this. So I'm here to tell you that I know that I have been blessed that I was able to, I am the recipient. It's been transformational for me. I think about if the good Lord could make the world in six days and rest on the seventh day, don't you think that Moses could have taken the Israelites as slaves out of Egypt right to the land of milk and honey? No. It took 40 years of meandering in the desert to reculcate, recalibrate, reculture. This is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to recognize it won't happen overnight. It'll probably take 40 years, but it starts with two boys and one person who said, okay, let me see what I can do. Thank you.
the fact that, yeah, she, I believe to this day, is still very tight with those now men uh, who at the time were boys that caused her harm is astounding. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be capable ask you, yeah, of that. What do you think? I think I would be. But you know what? I have to say I'm very, very lucky in that I have never been the victim of a violent crime. So I say that very naively. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also a different thing to think about if it's your kid rather than you. you Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really hard to know how you will react. It's almost one of those things that until it happens, you can't know. And yeah. But anyway, these these two, given that their their experiences were one of broken community and broken humanity, and that their reactions to their attacks were were of the nature of healing and mending and restoring, Connection. yeah, that I find so admirable and inspiring and we hope you do too thank you for listening to the episode today we want to thank maureen harvey for producing the podcast you can find us at stoopstorytelling.com find out about upcoming shows we have a show coming up in november yep the title of which is not gonna work for me stories about horrible bosses quiet quitting and career and reinventions um it's on november 9th at whitehall mill which i'm very excited about a beautiful space in hamden and baltimore and we have musical guest the honey Drew drop so submit a story or just come to the show and tell your stories about horrible bosses and make sure they have no compassion in them because then it won't really be funny story <laughs> thanks for listening see you next week